0: All right, well, welcome. So, arrogant, loudmouth, know-it-all, fearful, fickle, and faithless. These aren't the words that you would normally choose to associate with somebody that Jesus had as one of his best friends. But nevertheless, 2,000 years ago, Jesus stood on a shore, called him, and Peter's life was never the same. Now, I love Peter. I love Peter because he is uncomplicated. You never have to wonder what Peter is thinking. He has a deep heart, and his heart is worn right on his sleeve. If Peter had a motto for life, it would be ready, fire, aim. He's like this Yosemite Sam character with a hair trigger, incredibly impulsive. He's this roughed-out sketch of a man whose bravado is tinged with shades of confidence Like arrogance, stupidity, you don't really know, at least until the very end. I think Peter has a lot to teach us, especially as it relates to our talents. I believe everybody in this room has been given gifts by God. I don't know if you believe that, but I do. They could be natural talents that you were born with, they could be skills and strengths that you've developed, or they could be gifts that were given to you by the Holy Spirit when you became a Christ follower. But like Peter, we can kind of be our own worst enemy, can't we? I believe we've all got a little bit of Peter's fire in us. When it comes to using our talents and our abilities for our life, we say things quietly to ourselves like this, it's okay, God, I got this. I will take it from here. So this is the second week of our three-week series called Resolutions, and here's the idea. Standing at the beginning of a new year, many of us reflect on this past year and look forward to the new year and resolve to do some things differently. Last week, we looked at how God expects us to use our time, and we talked about time management. We talked about calendar management, priorities and limits. We asked the question, how does God expect me to use my time for his glory? And so this week, we're gonna extend that question to include our talents. How does God expect you and me to use our talents for his glory and not for ours? I wanna get underneath that question by taking a look at the life of a man who rode the highs and the lows of discipleship with courage and honesty and guts. The Apostle Peter Thanks to the Gospel writers, we have a front row seat to Peter's development. It's really raw, it's really unfinished, it's really messy. We're given insight into what he's thinking, what he's doing, and what he comes to believe about this man called Jesus of Nazareth. Peter is a faithful disciple. He's a leader of others, but more than that, Peter is a down to his shoes, sold out follower of Jesus. He's a man with a lot of talent, but it's what Jesus does with those talents that's most striking to me. So this morning I wanna drop into four scenes in the life of Peter, four quick little snippets that when taken together teach us that before God uses our talents, he forms our character. Before God uses our talents, He forms our character. So, like last week, we're going to be in a few places in the Bible. So, you can follow along there in your hard copy. You can flip on your phone or follow along on the screens. The first scene is going to be in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. So, if you want to get there, Matthew chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 18. And this first scene, we're just going to call Peter's Call. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Here's what the text says. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, that is Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. This is a pretty familiar scene. It's where we meet Peter for the first time. He's hard at work in the family business. Two brothers working side by side. It's safe to assume that Peter was probably the older and the first to speak. If you could imagine Peter and Andrew sitting next to each other in a school classroom, Peter's the one that blurts out the answer first, even though younger brother probably knew the answer just as well. But there they are every day following in the same natural rhythm until one day, this rabbi named Jesus calls them. And there's something different about this rabbi. You see, in Jesus' day, in the first century, if you wanted to be a rabbi who had followers, there was a process that you went through, First thing that you would do if you were a rabbi is the followers would find you. They took the initiative. They were the ones that followed you around, like trying to act like you and cleaning up your dishes and washing up after you. They wanted to be like you. It's weird that Jesus calls them. The rabbi's not supposed to condescend, but Jesus does things differently. Second step that a rabbi would do in Jesus' day is he would then extend them an invitation, and it would be kind of like a sales pitch. It would sound something like this. Be like, hey, here's something you really ought to consider for your life. Come and follow me and sit under my teaching, and if you do that, like, this, this might be a good thing for you. But Jesus doesn't really offer them a sales pitch, does he? He summons them. (laughs) He says, follow me. He doesn't talk like a traditional rabbi. He talks like a priest or like a king. That's interesting to me. Jesus does things differently. And then the third thing that a rabbi would do in Jesus' day is they would give you a little bit of time for you to go home, pack your bags, tie up some loose ends, say goodbye to your folks, and then eventually you would find the rabbi and you would spend some time underneath his teaching. What do these guys do? they immediately drop their nets and they follow him. It's this immediate, irrevocable change in their life that everything is going to be different. You can imagine his words falling like thunder. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In the other gospel accounts, we even know that Simon's name gets changed to Peter, which means rock, which I've always thought is deeply ironic considering the volatility of this guy's life. Call him a rock. So these two brothers leave their nets on the shore and follow Jesus into whatever. What does that mean for us as it relates to our talents? Here it is We are saved to be made. We are saved to be made. He says, follow me and I will make you. These guys didn't come marketing themselves to Jesus with all their stuff. They didn't come kissing up to him like some other rabbi or would-be disciples would. Jesus finds them and he doesn't promise them much. He just says, follow me and I will make you. We are saved to be made. And so before we move any further, I've got to ask a question. And I know this is hitting heavy early on, but here's the question. Have you responded to Jesus' call? Have you heard this idea of following this person called Jesus, making him the Lord of your life, and taking all of your talents and skills and strengths and all this other stuff and putting it under his authority and saying, okay, Jesus, I am yours. Because if not, all of those things are as useless as nets in a Galilean lake. We are saved to be made. You may get fish, but you will never get what you were created for. So that's this first idea, this first scene in Peter's life, his call. Fast forward two years to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 22. This is Peter's greatest test. And this is another familiar scene in Peter's life. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Peter's been following Jesus around for two years now, and he's seen some incredible things. When you, could you imagine what that would be like, to be at Jesus' heels for two years of your life? It's incredible. He's seen all this stuff, but Jesus has been teaching, and Jesus is tired And so he says to his disciples, he says, why don't you guys get in a boat and just go ahead of me a little ways? And he's gonna rest. Same sea, by the way. I think that's interesting. And then about four in the morning, something amazing happens. Take a look in Matthew 14, verse 25. And around the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Which is like kind of a pretty gutsy thing to say. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat Walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, "O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Stop before we go any further. What does the text say that the problem is with Peter? He was what? Afraid. He was afraid. Jesus says one word to Peter. He says, come. He doesn't complicate it. He says one word, and then the volume of the situation turns up, and now Peter, all he hears is this distraction of fear and waves and wind, and he lost the simplicity of Jesus' command. And that's how fear works. Fear seeks to drown out the simplicity of Jesus' command with this like complexity of life. And that's so easy to slip into, isn't it? Because in the flurry and the fury of the moment, we want to trust our assessment of the situation rather than what Jesus says. Faithfulness is not the absence of fear. Faithfulness is the presence of fear and walking ahead anyway. And that's the hard issue for us, isn't it? Like, do we really trust him? Do we really know him enough to believe him when he calls us? Using our talents for God's glory, this isn't a tactical conversation about how, but this is a relational conversation about a who. Do you trust him? Because like Peter, when you reach the end of your abilities and the end of your talents, you will either sink in fear or you will walk forward in faith. But you know what most of us do? We never even get out of the boat. Looking in the rearview mirror of my life experience thus far, it's amazing to me and it's so ugh, like it's indicting how many times my biggest regrets can be t- traced back and tied back to me trusting my assessments rather than God's assessments. And it's true for you. Happens all the time. And that's what Jesus is getting at here with Peter. He says, do you trust me or do you trust yourself? What's it gonna be? And I love Jesus' question, why did you doubt? Right? He's not asking because he didn't know the answer. He's God, like he knows why, He knows he's afraid. Why did he ask? Because he's bringing Peter to this point where Peter has to say something. Your talents may get you out of the boat, but only Jesus will keep you above the waves. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? Just because you've got the chops, just because you've got the strength, just because you've got the talents, just because you've got the degrees, just because you've got the chutzpah and all the confidence and the swagger, doesn't mean that you can never take your eyes off Jesus. And don't you love what the rest of the guys do? Like, I love how this scene kind of ends. Go back, look in verse 32. This is so cool. Verse 32. And when they got back in the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat, which by the way includes Peter at this point, dripping wet, tears coming down his face, these tears that are indistinguishable, tears of worship, or are they seawater? I don't know. What did they do? They worshiped, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. And that gives us another insight about our talents When we reach the end of our talents or our abilities, we can either worry or we can worship. We cannot do both. So that's scene two. Scene three. Let's skip ahead just a few months. Matthew chapter 26. This is what we'll call Peter's darkest moment. Matthew chapter 26. The fever and fervor around Jesus has been growing. His teaching is becoming more and more pointed. He's moved from being this like quaint rabbi on the fringe to being this controversial subversive. He's arrested, he's taken into custody, and Jesus has just been moved into the courtroom on a charge of blasphemy, and Peter has been along the entire way, riding the train. But this next scene finds us in a courtyard in one of the most pivotal moments of Peter's life, Jesus is bound to a guard. Peter is nervously standing outside and the rest of the disciples are nowhere to be found. Matthew 26, take a look in verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all saying, I don't know what you mean. And when he went out of the entrance, Another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, "This man was with Jesus, the, Nazar- the Jesus of Nazareth." And again, he denied it with an oath, "I do not know the man." It's incredibly strong words. After a little while, the bystanders came to him and said to Peter. Certainly, you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and began to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This scene is so tragic, isn't it? Like, you want to, if you're like me, you want to reach in the pages and like grab Peter by the shoulders and go, no, like don't do it. You've come so far. You've seen so much. You've learned so much. You know Jesus so deeply. Don't give in. That last phrase, wept bitterly, like that's the crux of this whole scene. It's only used a couple of times in the New Testament. And when it is, it's always in connection with death. It's what you do when someone you love deeply has died. And so here's Peter at absolute rock bottom. Sure, he's doubted before, but this, this is a different deal. With his closest friends scattered across a Jerusalem night, his leader bound in chains, and the cause to which he's given his life disappearing and dwindling down to a smoldering wick, as faint as a whisper, Peter caves. And all the courage all the leadership, all the talent, all that sanctified swagger, (laughs) all those strengths dissipate in the smoke of a courtyard campfire. Three questions from three strangers, three denials, and then the crow of a rooster. I want us to sit in the stark pain of this scene for a moment, because I believe that there's something in here that speaks to how we view our talents. I think we need to see that our talents, apart from Jesus, can give out on us. Anybody ever feel like you blow it with Jesus? Sure you do, I do. You get to this point where like, you should have stepped up in confidence, but you shrank back in fear. You missed an opportunity. You gave in to anger. You said something stupid. You acted on impulse when you should have been patient. You got sideways like you just couldn't see clearly. And in those moments in our life, when they do pass, we're left scratching our heads going, maybe this whole like journey with Jesus thing and walk by faith, maybe there's just been, I don't know, whatever. And then in the center of that feeling is this fearful voice that says, slyly, suggesting, you could have done more. You should have done more. This is all your fault. Anybody know that feeling? (laughs) And out of love for Peter, Jesus lets him sit in that for a couple of days. Why? Because before God uses our talents, he forms our character. He has something he needs him to see. And that's scene three. Scene four. Scene four. This is Peter's restoration. And this is the good part of the story. In his gospel, John gives us a scene that none of the other gospel writers do. And it's the other side of Peter's darkest moment. Turn over with me to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. This is a great scene. Jesus has been convicted, he's been crucified, and now he's risen again. And in John 21, Jesus finds Peter doing the exact same thing he was doing three years ago. He's at the same place, he's doing the same work, he's fishing for the same fish. It's almost like the last three years never happened. John 21, verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? (laughs) Again, with Jesus and the questions. Why is he asking these questions? Because he's trying to draw something out of them. Now, quick little public service announcement. Never ask a fisherman if he's caught any fish, okay? (laughs) Because if he has, you will find out eventually. And if he hasn't, it's just like rubbing salt in an open wound and you're making things worse and you're gonna make him feel terrible, okay? But call me crazy, I think Jesus is trying to set Peter up here. Asking a professional fisherman if he's caught any fish while knowing full well that he hasn't sets up a conversation about the limit of one's talents, does it? So he asks him a question and here's how they respond. No, which I think is how they said it. This like slightly sophomoric tone, right? No. And then verse six. Here's what Jesus says. Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the great quantity of fish. And that's the gun that starts Peter off. Here's verse seven. The disciple who Jesus loved, that's John, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself in the sea. Like such a Peter move, right? Like why think when I can swim? Like let's just do this thing, right? So he jumps out and then the other disciples, which are the rational ones, they're still in the boat and what do they do? Dragging the net full of fish. They were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have caught. And now the scene narrows. We go from this big wide angle shot of like a stranger on the shore and this boat on the sea and this soft sunrise to this up close and personal 4K HD view of a conversation between two men. The apostle Peter still dripping wet again. Isn't it interesting how much of Peter's spiritual development happens underwater? I I just Coincidental and the risen Christ, and what Jesus walks him through is absolutely beautiful, and it is the standing point of all of this conversation about talents. Here we go, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And so he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Why did he ask him three times? Three denials, three questions, three answers, three affirmations, and then three commands. What's Jesus doing here? Jesus is taking all that raw talent that Peter has, and he's bringing it under a new idea. And he says, Peter, I want you to serve I want your life to be about something other than yourself. Remarkable, isn't it? He says, Peter, like, I know you got talent. I know you can lead people without thinking about it, but I'm replacing that talent with a mission. I'm giving you something way bigger than you ever thought. Guys, hear me today. You have a divine responsibility to get everything that God has put in you out of you by the time you go. And that's exactly what he's putting right in front of Peter here today. And he said, look, I'm gonna use your talents, but before we get there, I gotta form your character. And so what does this look like for us here at the North Canton Chapel? Because these scenes, they all stack up and they're very familiar to us if we've been in church world for a long time. But what does this mean for us as we think about our talents for God's glory, not for our own? I wanna give you five practices to use your talents for God's glory. Five things you've gotta consider, and here's the first one. Listen, listen. I wanna bring you back to the shore in Matthew four for a second. It's Peter holding a net. Okay, I think he was standing at a fork in the road he didn't even realize. Now I know this sounds really goofy, maybe a little weird and maybe a little mystical, but I believe that God has a next step for absolutely everybody in this room and it may be a small step. But it may be a step that you are terrified to take. If Peter never dropped the net... You would never know his name. He would be another anonymous fisherman standing on the shore of a lake nobody's ever heard of on the other side of the world, and he would die lost in the sands of history. But when Jesus spoke to him, something inside of him sparked, and he said, I'm in. And the world was changed forever. And it's not about him. It's about what God did through him. So if you believe that God wants you to use your talents for his glory, this whole small step thing, it's probably completely freaking you out. And so here's something that's always true. Dropping the net is always risky and it's always worth it. It's always risky because it's gonna cost you something. And it's always worth it. Sounds like this. I can't sing, but like God's nudging me to be a part of the worship team. Drop the net. I can't serve in children's ministry. Toddlers freak me out. <laughs> drop the net. I'm not missions trip material. Like I get air sick and car sick and food sick and weird sick and so like, no, drop the net. I can never leave my family in prayer or like pray with my spouse. That's way beyond me, but I know it's like gotta happen. Drop the net. You see the point? Don't wait for the heavens to part. All right? Don't wait for these like, isolated like, set of coincidences to line up and then you go, oh, this must be God's will. Nope, use your head, get in his word, use your heart, listen to the spirit, and then do something. Listen. That's the first practice that we've gotta do. Second practice, if you wanna use your talents for God's glory, is ask God for wisdom. There are few things more dangerous in the world than a leader with a lot of talent and a little bit of wisdom. And that's why God has Peter start where he starts. So ask God for wisdom to wield your talents well. So quick heads up, when you do that, if you do that, don't be surprised if he starts with your character first. Why? Because the pathway to your purpose cuts through your character and character formation is always tough. The pathway to your purpose cuts through your character and that is always tough. But here's the thing, like get a sovereign view here. God loves you too much to let you be crushed by a purpose that your character could never sustain. He loves you too much to let you be crushed by a purpose that your character can't sustain. So he starts in here. He will keep that purpose from you. He will bring you no fulfillment in the use of your talents, and he will take your talents from you if it means you become more like Jesus. That's what he's after. So quick commercial. Do you know why we do this membership matters thing here and why we believe church membership is important? It's because we believe something about you. We believe that the playing field is better than the bench, We believe that God wants you to connect to your church in meaningful ways, right? We believe that this is a good place to be and you ought to go through this process because it's healthy. But every church believes that about people, I hope. Here's what we believe that's a little bit different and it pushes this into a different layer. I believe that connecting to your church ought to also be an invitation to grow deeper in your walk with God. And so part of the course that we do with Membership Matters, we use these tools. These are like self-discovery tools because we want to we help you learn to tell your gospel story, even though if it's really messy. We want to help you learn to explore your gifts, these things that God has put in you as a Christ follower, even if you don't know what they are. We want to help you get closer to this thing that God might have, this big dream that he wants to have in your life and he wants you to do. And so we want to help you discover what that might be. And so maybe when you hear all this business about using your talents for God's glory, maybe your thing is, I just got to figure out what those talents are. And so here's the thing, like, commercial's about to be over, but sign up for Membership Matters. It starts next week. The idea is that we want to see the North Canton Chapel make much of Jesus every day to everyone, and it starts with you. So that's the second thing. Ask God for wisdom, to wield your talents well, here's the third practice. If you wanna use your talents for God's glory, ask others for insight. Ask God for wisdom, ask others for insight. And this is where this gets really dangerous. Because here's what I've discovered. When I ask people to like critique performance, like my activity, how I'm doing, people are really willing to help out, right? And they'll say some really good things, usually. But if you believe that God wants us to evaluate our character too, then we've gotta pop the hood. And then we gotta get underneath. We gotta ask questions and listen to things that like sometimes I don't wanna hear, right? That's a different deal. But if God's forming our character, I need people to tell me like where I'm at. So quick story, about six months ago, um, I went on this kind of individual journey. I asked nine people who know me as a coworker, know me as a friend, and know me as a leader to evaluate everything like top to bottom it was conducted by an outside firm and i know like there's nine people out there evaluating me and i'm like because i have this like deep seated need to be liked and i hate it when people think ill of me and i know a lot of you feel that same thing and so i'm sitting here like oh my gosh there's nine people evaluating me this is terrible and then like my worst fears were realized because some of the feedback came back and i was like oh i didn't like to see that about myself there was some stuff that i was like deeply uncomfortable with and i'm like oh man i didn't know that i was perceived that way but if that's getting in the way of me using my talents for God's glory, like I need to see that mirror. Because here's why. The biggest struggle that we have with using our talents for God's glory isn't keeping our plates spinning. It's it's not just like keeping all this stuff happening. No, 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 it's keeping our hearts pure. And that's Peter's problem. It's never a question of ability. It's a question of heart. And so how do you ask others for insight? First, ask courageous questions. Assure them that they're gonna be safe when giving you an honest answer. Listen to them, which is really hard when like, we wanna defend ourselves. And then three, or fourth, do something about it. Actually move on that thing. This is what church is about. It's about holding the gospel up to my life and going, where do I match and where do I not match? Where are there places in my life that I'm being proud or I'm, being, I'm out of sync with Jesus? Tell me about it. We should get to a place where that's okay. Doesn't matter if you have your life together. Peter followed Jesus for three years, he still denied him. What is that? So ask people for insight. Here's the fourth practice. Prepare for war. And that sounds overstated, I know it, but here's the thing. How many of you know that when you say yes to Jesus, the enemy goes, okay, fine, game on. And so I'd be stupid, I'd be a bad pastor if up here I just said, hey, go use your skills. It's gonna be great, roses and sunshine. (laughs) Nope, prepare for war. Because you know what the enemy doesn't like? The enemy doesn't like a Christian who goes, all right, Jesus, I am yours. All of my skills, all those talents, everything you gave me, I wanna use for your service, not for my own. Comfortable Christians, contented Christians, well-behaved Christians, enemy doesn't worry about those. He's like, fine, go build your kingdom all you want. That's great, go do what you wanna do. But the Christian who goes, all right, King Jesus, show me how to live my life and how to spend myself so that when I take my last breath, there's nothing left. I want it all for you. Those kind of Christians make a difference. These kind of Christians make noise. So how do you prepare for war? Go back to what Peter did not do. Keep your eyes on Jesus, refuse to be distracted, and keep going. Because here's what's gonna happen. I know how this works. You're gonna sign up for something. You're gonna raise your hand. You're gonna go, okay, God, I'm gonna step out, right? And then something is going to happen to make you regret the risk that you were about to take. Don't listen to that. Because it's war. Fifth thing, and with this we'll wrap up. Fifth way to use your talents for God's glory, take initiative, take initiative. And this is the thing that we love about Peter, isn't it? Like, the dude had no trouble taking initiative. If anything, it's like, slow down a bit there, Turbo. Come on, man, like, easy. Here's how this works, though. God could be calling you to take a missions trip or engage in that way. God could be calling you to serve in students or children or he could be calling you to serve with one of our ministry partners. Here's what I want you to see. Those are not opportunities to fill a slot, Because if you don't fill it, God will bring somebody who will. Those are not opportunities to fill a slot. Those are opportunities to deepen your faith. And those are different things altogether. I believe there is profound potential for gospel movement hibernating in the hearts of everybody in this room. And you're nervous, and I get that, but don't let what you don't know prevent what God could do. Do you know why most Christians never live out their talents? They die with stuff still inside them because we're just simply afraid. We're afraid we're gonna look stupid. We're afraid we're gonna mess something up. We're afraid we're gonna mess someone up. We're afraid we're gonna thwart God's plan. So here comes the gospel. You are not powerful enough to thwart God's plan. His plan is way bigger than you. He just wants you in because he's convinced that it's gonna bring him glory and you joy. That's why you spend your talents for him. Has nothing to do with earning favor or getting right, or some weird idea of karma. Mm-mm, that, that is, nope. You do it because you love him. Because he showed you something called Jesus, and he said, I'm gonna send him to die for you. And so my life becomes all about him going forward. So take initiative. Do you know what I love about Peter's experience in the boat? It's great, I love it because it taught him that fear was a powerful thing, but that fear also has limits. Fear can be used to do a lot, but it's just a terrible master. And Jesus goes, I'm bigger than that. Do we know that? Do we experience that? Arrogant, know it all, and loud mouth. Fearful, faithless, and fickle, and just like us. I'm thrilled that you're here this morning. I'm thrilled that you're even asking how to use your talents for God's glory because I believe when we ask with a heart that's open and a life that's free, God will honor that. But before he does, before he uses your talents, he's gotta form your character. Pray with me, would you? Father, we do wanna say that we love you. We wanna say we love you because you've given us everything that we need in Jesus. We don't have to wonder if we please you because we are covered in the blood of your son. We've been made righteous. And so now our lives can be about your mission. Father, we wanna say thank you so much that you've given us strengths and talents and skills and abilities. God, would you give us wisdom, put others around us to give us insights Prepare us for what's gonna come. And then God, give us courage to just step out of the boat and follow you, whatever it costs, whatever it takes, and whatever it looks like. Father, you are wise, you are good, you are sovereign, you are faithful, you are holy, and you are right. Thank you, thank you, thank you for Jesus. Bless us as your children as we seek to serve you with the lives that you've given us and the breath that you have loaned us until we see you one day. In Jesus' name, amen.